Hey, everybody, and welcome to Beyond the Breakers, a podcast about shipwrecks, loss, and lessons learned from maritime disasters. I'm Taylor, and joining me is a first-time guest, Darcy. Darcy, how you doing? I'm good. Just finished work, so I can't complain. Just finished work, and I made you do more work by doing a podcast, so that's fun. <laughs> um, well, we'll start like we always do on this Tannerless edition of this podcast. We'll talk about media check-ins. Um, I finished The Earth is Weeping, about the... Native American wars in the plains in the West. It was really sad, but uh, it was an interesting read. A lot of good stuff. A good starting point for learning more about that. Then, in addition to that, I just started Dead Wake by Eric Larson, which is a story about the Lusitania. I know he's really famous for Devil in the White City. Uh, he's a little bit more of a pop historian than maybe some of the other stuff I've read. I think he he likes to tell the fun stories, but he, it's it's an interesting read so far. It's good. It's it's captured my attention. Uh, what about you? What kind of media stuff have you been up to? Um, recently, I think we just finished the newest season of What We Do in the Shadows. Yes, we did. That was very good. Hysterical. I think I've referenced that as my media check on here, check in on here a few times, and yeah, it's it's absolutely perfect. This season has just been the best. I think they just absolutely have hit their stride. <laughs> And then I guess the other thing is the Ohio State game we went to on Saturday. I think some of you guys saw pictures of that on social media, but that was a lot of fun. It was my first time going. Yeah, that was my second time being there, and it was a good way to spend our Saturday. The weather the weather was beautiful, and uh, you know the Ohio State Buckeyes walked away with a W, so that's a plus. Yay, <laughs> Buckeyes. All right, well... We got a lot of that stuff out of the way. Um, this won't be our longest episode ever, but it's definitely going to be one of the more fun ones that we've done. Uh, it's always nice to do some lighter ones every once in a while. Today, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. Uh, typically, we focus on large cargo vessels, passenger liners or commercial fishing boats, something like that. Um, however, this time, we're going to be talking about something much smaller than even those, and that is a charter fishing vessel. Now, it's taken... A little time. This episode's taken a while, but we've worked up the courage to get this done. And that vessel's name is the Muff Diver. You know, it's uh, slightly larger than any vessel I ever went out on in my fishing experiences, but it's also the most similar to anything I had experiences with um, fishing growing up. I've talked about it sometimes um, growing up around the ocean and everything. I had a lot of opportunities to do that kind of thing. And this is, you know, this is a little bit bigger, but it's similar. Have you been out on a vessel like this, something this size, 25, um, 30 feet? quite this big, but I have definitely been on, you know, my fair share of boats in mm -hmm. my time with fishing and all of that. Um, but yeah, nothing quite this big. And then a lot of your time that you spent on the water was on Lake Erie. Is that correct? Lake Erie. And then there's some um, reservoirs and things that my dad and I frequented when we were younger. Okay. And yeah, mostly smaller. Um, gotcha. So this is a 45 foot vessel. Uh, she has a 14 foot beam and a three foot draft. So it would be a decent sized uh boat for you know like a reservoir or something that'd be pretty big yeah. probably too big honestly except for some of the biggest lakes um but like lake erie you would see this kind of boat and it's pretty typical for what you see for charter fishing like in the outer banks and stuff but if you want to feel really small you go out in the middle of the ocean on even a 45 foot <laughs> boat and you feel pretty small um it's you know 
It's interesting. It's fun, though. It really is fun. Um, so back to the Muff Diver. Um, she's captained by Joseph Riley, and he actually runs daily fishing charters, and he's assisted by his son, Shane, who's the sole member of the crew. So that's a pretty cool outfit, really. I mean, it'd be nice to work with your dad, and you're both, I'm assuming you both grow up fishing, and you're doing what you love, right? Yeah, the family dynamic would probably make it interesting. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about deep sea charter fishing and the industry that it entails. Uh, in 2021, it had a market size of $356 million in the United States. It's a pretty sizable industry. Yeah. Um, we've both worked in the sporting good, like retail field. So, you know, it's not the biggest part of any of the stores around here in Ohio or Wisconsin where I was, but, you know, every store is stocked with fishing stuff. And, you know, you, you definitely still have a lot of it. So it's a big industry. For sure. And then that's that's not bad considering the negative effects that COVID and limited travel had. You know, that's definitely a type of vacation that you're traveling for. Most people don't live by the ocean. And I also feel like that is one of the things that you could probably do socially distanced. If yeah, anything. if you had. Yeah, exactly. It's just getting to the destination. That's the issue there. For sure. Um, it does so show a lot of signs of rebounding, however, towards the high of 407 million in 2018. So you can see. The industry has taken a little bit of a hit, but uh, it looks like it probably is recovering like a lot of the entertainment and retail and vacation I'm spaces are. I'm sure that's all going to be skyrocketing. I'm sure. It's a little bit more comfortable. Exactly. There's a lot of pent up demand for these kind of things. So as we often talk about, anytime you put out to sea, there are inherent risks. It's a dangerous place. <laughs> I posted a story on Twitter this week about a boat that hit a whale and capsized and killed five people. Oh like you goodness. just don't know, right? It's, yeah. it's a, it, it's never, it's, it's, I guess it's no different than driving a car, right? Like we all take risks anytime we're driving a car, but you know, you need to go to Kroger and you need to do some shopping. So you do that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, but because of these risks, you know, you have a driver's license, you do driving tests. Uh, that's really no different for being, from being a charter boat captain. There's a couple different licenses that you could obtain. So you're saying I can't just go out and drive a big charter boat? Uh, I guess in theory, this is where it gets more fun. I don't know all the fine details state to state. Like in theory, you could drive it. You just couldn't charge. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but um, I think more and more there's a lot of boat licensing requirements and stuff. But sure. I am by no means an expert because I have no desire to drive a boat. Well, I think this podcast is a perfect reason why. <laughs> Okay, so types of licenses that we're talking about here. We have the Operator of Uninspected Passenger Vehicle License. And this license is geared towards smaller vessels up to 100 gross tons. And the vessel... Actually, let's scratch that because I have no idea how much 100 gross tons is. And some on Twitter is going to correct that. This license is geared towards smaller vessels. Um, the vessel is limited to six paying customers Hence, this is commonly known as a six-pack license. Just you and a couple buds. <laughs> uh, training requirements include obtaining a transportation workers identification or TWIC card. I can tell you this isn't hard to do. You just apply. I used to have one. Interesting. Uh, eighteen. You have to be eighteen years of age. Pass a DOT drug test. Uh, become CPR first aid certified. And completion of a U.S. Coast Guard approved training course. So not like it's not that hard, but you do have to put for some effort. And there's the knowledge based portion with the U.S. Coast Guard. Everything else is pretty standard for working. And I'll, you know, 
kind of industry, you know, a service type of industry in, in transportation or something. You know, not the craziest requirements, but it is regulated. So this license actually comes in three different forms. There is an inland, there is a Great Lakes and inland, and a near coastal license. So the inland license would be rivers, reservoirs, that kind of thing. The Great Lakes is what it says. It's the Great Lakes plus the inland. And then there is the near coastal license. And a lot of that, I'm assuming I didn't research the differences too much, is that there's different dangers and hazards in these different environments. You know, operating on the Mississippi River is different than operating off the Outer Banks or operating on Lake Huron. They're they're all different. They all have different dangers. It's different things you need to be alert and aware about. Uh, so this type of license, this this family of licenses, is typically used by charter fishing vessels, scuba charters, other small commercial ventures where, you know, you're taking a few people out. You're not running a, you know, resort type a thing. A booze cruise. Exactly. Or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not running a, a huge endeavor. You're taking out four or five people and, you know, it's pretty personalized. The other license is the U.S. Coast Guard Master's License. Uh, This is a type of license that's required for carrying seven or more paying passengers. Mm. This is common for larger boats, water taxis, booze cruises, things where you have to be responsible for a significant number of people. Additionally, there's also endorsements for towing and sailing under sail. So it's kind of like, I guess, like getting like a motorcycle license after you have a driver's license, some of the more specialized things you have to get. As previously stated, any time you take to sea, there are inherent risks. However, when dealing with fishing charters, like so many other things, you generally get what you pay for. That makes sense, right? right? (laughs) It's sort of like, you know, you see uh, ads for like laser eye surgery. It's like, no, no, I don't think I mind paying full price for that. I I don't want a BOGO on that. (laughs) Right. Like It's one thing if I want two Whoppers with cheese and I don't get the cheese, like I'll eat it. It just, you know, I paid extra for cheese or whatever, but... I want my eyes done right. I want my fishing charter to have life jackets if we need it or have a competent crew that can manage a situation. So I'm willing to pay for that. I'm willing to pay for my extra cheese on my charter boat. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to move on to my favorite part of every episode, probably. The incident. (laughs) Uh, That takes us to August 9th, 1987, which is... Exactly one year before I was born. Oh, wow. (laughs) And about a month before I was born. (laughs) So this is actually a perfect day to be out at sea. It's a warm summer day uh, with a pleasant breeze around 10 knots when the muff diver left Ocean City, Maryland and began to head south. (laughs) Captain Riley was aware of two other fishing vessels in the area. And they were My Desire and Box Lunch. Hmm. It's always fun seeing the fishing boat names. <laughs> and let's not, uh, you know, combine those either <laughs> by mistake. Yes, captains definitely, uh, they have a type, don't they? They do. They do. <laughs> However, with ideal conditions and excellent visibility, there was no concern. In fact, these fishing vessels often worked together and the captains were generally well acquainted. So, you know, nobody's, you know edging on anybody's turf there's no worries of collisions it's great weather to be out there everybody's having a good time that is until suddenly the port engine stops working (laughs) shane the deckhand immediately put on his uh set of fins and mask 
and he ties a rope around his waist and enters the water. And keep in mind, like they're out fishing, like, you know, you're out in deep water at this point. Captain Riley warned the other boats nearby that they had to put a diver in the water and that they had an issue. So his main concern here is he doesn't want these other fishing boats coming nearby and a, you know, snagging him with a line, Mm -hmm. but also these fishing boats are putting a ton of bait and chum into the water and you got to deal with sharks. You probably don't want that when your son slash deckhand is swimming around your boat. Yep. Attracting the unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) So immediately the problem is apparent. There's a two and a half inch hawser line that has wrapped itself around the port propeller shaft right where it connects to the boat. So there's this big, heavy rope line that's wrapped itself around that. That's bad. These ropes are made to, you know, hold huge vessels at port and stuff like that. So not great when it's wrapped around your engine. Right. (laughs) Um, The line had been floating partially submerged. It was just deep enough to not be seen by Captain Riley, but still close enough to the water to damage the vessel. So it was right in that Goldilocks zone. Like, like so many of these stories, exactly. Like so many of these stories that we talk about, it's just the just right confluence of events. And now you have to react to it. And the crew kind of determines how this goes. The perfect storm. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) It is the perfect storm. The captain then joined his son in the water. The propeller was undamaged and the propeller shaft had not been pulled out of place. However, there was no hope of untangling the rope. So it had to have been wrapped around pretty good. Exactly. So I was reading in one of the sources that the propellers actually spin in opposite directions Mm -hmm. on this boat. So as they're spinning, it's tightening the rope. So basically it just, it seizes up and you can't untangle this. Like it's not happening. So they do the next best thing. The captain joins his son in the water, and they pull out a hacksaw and start cutting away at the rope, strand by strand. (laughs) So they're doing that in the water. I was just going to say, through the water, right? Yep, they're in the water. They're taking turns diving under and going down there and cutting away and coming back up for air. I can't imagine how tedious that would be. Exactly. And just, you know, knowing you're in the middle of the ocean. Mm -hmm. So after about 30 minutes, the father and son team were nearly done with the job. When one of the passengers alerted them to a new problem. No, no. The muff diver seemed to be going down by her stern. Well. (laughs) Uh, Captain Riley was still in the water when he heard this. And, you know, he's clinging to the stern transom and regaining his breath. So that's kind of right at the the very end of the boat, basically. He's kind of just sitting there with a hand up on it, um, just trying to gain his breath before he pulls himself back up onto the boat. Just at that point, however, a large wave actually picks him up and places him back on the boat. Well, so that, that was on his side there, ex- I guess. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, that's very lucky because if it had swept him away from a sinking boat, you know, he's not there to direct Correct. what's going on, but also now you have someone drifting away from the other people who are potentially going to be in the water. So, right. It's a chaotic scene for a few minutes there. Um, He attempts to close the transom door, but at this point, it's clear that the stern is losing its battle with the sea. Uh, Another passenger manned the radio and stated he could hear radio chatter, but he was unable to make contact with any of the nearby vessels. The problem being here that the radio was set to short power or low power, 
and him being unexperienced with that type of radio didn't realize that. So he could hear, but he couldn't necessarily transmit. No. Uh, Captain Riley then takes charge of the situation. He's back on the boat. He uh, orders everybody to put on life jackets and states that they should move to the bow. So he's moving everybody forward to counteract the list of the vessel going down by its stern. Uh, He then moves to the radio and he's able to get it working because he switches it to its high power function. He breaks into a conversation between my desire and box lunch and he asks them to stand by in case the muff diver went down. He then started the starboard engine with Shane holding on to the last bits of rope on the port propeller in order to keep it from tangling the starboard prop. Yeah, you don't want to suck it. No, you don't want to suck that back in. (laughs) You've been down there enough. Captain Riley hoped that he could gain enough speed to drain the water from the stern of the boat and then close the transom door before finally pumping water out of the vessel. Mm. So a lot of these smaller fishing vessels, like when when you're moving, the front of the boat kind of lifts up out of the water. So he's hoping to get enough speed that he can get that lift and all the water will drain back and out so that then the pumps can kind of get everything that's lower than that. Mm. So it makes sense what he's trying to do. However, by this time it's too late Mm -hmm. burdened by the weight of the water. The vessel could not rise up on a plane out of the water. Uh, Slowly the water would rise until eventually it drowned out the single working engine. I know you haven't listened to every episode, but I think you probably know enough to know losing power is bad in the yeah. ocean. That's not what we want. That's not ideal. No, yep. Yep. No. <laughs> Much like when you're on an airplane, you want those engines to work. All of them. Every single Preferably one. Preferably all of them, right? At least one, though. <laughs> so at this point, five of the passengers stood on the bow while Shane assisted an older man with getting forward. There was mm-hmm. a elderly guy that was having some trouble there's not like a lot of these little walkways are pretty narrow that you're skirting around the sides of the vessel to get forward so not the easiest thing for someone that's limited by mobility for sure captain riley moved to the bow deck where he tossed a lifeboat canister overboard and at that point it automatically inflated just like it's supposed to hey that's that's a win right on this podcast (laughs) it is it's nice seeing life-saving equipment that works uh riley then pulled the lifeboat alongside the muff diver and ordered the passengers in. The passengers, in a state of shock, flatly refused. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Well, that's not how I would go about things, but, right? you know, you so never know. Knowing that, you know, he has to force their hand a little bit, Captain Riley jumps in the lifeboat and once again orders the five men in. At that point, they complied. As that's going on, this is just as Shane is arriving with the older passenger. Uh, the old man also refuses to leave the boat, no. despite the urging of everyone involved. At that point, Captain Riley once again seizing the moment, he senses there's nothing more that can be done and orders his son to climb aboard the lifeboat and leave the man behind. How many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? Apparently, this was enough of an inspiration for the, for the elderly man as he climbed over and then dropped down into the raft. Oh, yay. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it was a tense few moments, I'm sure, where, you know, which, you know, I get it, right? You don't want to leave the the safety of the big boat for the little boat, even if there are, you know, rescue vessels. This peer pressure led to a good ending. Yeah, this is good peer pressure. (laughs) If someone's telling you to get in a lifeboat, that is good peer pressure. We've decided. 
A few minutes later, the muff diver went down. Air hissed as the lower compartments filled with water, and soon she completely disappeared from sight. By this time, both vessels fishing nearby were en route to the scene. My Desire picked up the survivors while Box Lunch grabbed debris from the water. So, pretty fortunate situation. You know, they're able to, you know, make contact with them. And, you know, even if he hadn't sent that message directly saying that they were in trouble, he had at least prior alerted them that the stuff was going on. So, you know, they're they're at least aware. They're keeping an eye out. And like you said, they're familiar with each other. Exactly. So, <laughs> so you know, this guy is not just saying it to say it or, you know, he's not one to overreact. Like, if this guy says he's got a problem, you know who he is and you're going to go help him. So, you know, it's a great story of how it's supposed to work at sea where people are looking out for each other and Best case, worst sen- case scenario? Yeah, it's, a, it's the best bad scenario. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, at that point, you know, everyone is rescued. Uh, no real injuries or anything like that. This, like, this is a fun one, actually. It's nice when we can do one where it's not like, you know... 30 women and children drowned first, and then the men went. I'm glad I could bring a little bit of sunshine <laughs> to, to the podcast. So let's talk about the aftermath of this situation. Um, the Coast Guard concluded that due to a large rope on the propeller shaft, it pulled the shaft out of the vessel's hull, loosening the shaft packing and causing the vessel to fill with water, founder, and sink. So essentially, this rope cinched itself mm-hmm. and it cracked the frame of the vessel. The vessel took water. It was probably never recoverable from that point. Yeah. So there's really nothing he could that the captain could have done. He handled the situation basically the way that you you would be expected to and, you know, kept everybody safe. At this point, the Coast Guard was done with the case. However, the insurance company for the Muff Diver and its quarter million dollar policy now began to investigate. Of course it did. <laughs> you have I know you have a little experience in that industry, so you know how they are. <laughs> um, fraud in maritime Insurance is a constant issue. It's relatively easy for an unethical person to strip everything of value from an old hull and then scuttle it and claim it for the full value. Another area which was investigated was the quality of construction from Oceancraft, who was the manufacturer of the Muff Diver. If the insurance company could prove either of these, then they would potentially be off the hook for this settlement. Uh, The insurance company hired a dive team to prove that the muff diver had sunk where Captain Riley claimed as well. So, you know, they're trying to make sure everything matches up. Cover their tracks. (laughs) Uh, The dive team was able to confirm Captain Riley's story. Uh, There was no evidence of fraud. And eventually the insurance company would settle with Captain Riley. Uh, With that money, he was actually able to buy a new boat and he would continue his charter fishing business until I think like 2020 or 2021 so he's pretty impressive i don't know sometimes i hear these and i don't know if i could go back out. (laughs) (laughs) and actually a little bit more information kind of in closing about him um, i actually found his obituary while i was doing some research for this thomas joseph riley would pass away on june 25th 2021 at the age of 77 riley was married for 54 years and had two children shane who was previously mentioned in the story and a daughter. Uh, Riley and his wife also owned a cleaning business from 1974 to 2008 when it was sold. So I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. It's pretty rare that I I find an obituary for a subject in one of these stories, especially one of these happier stories where it seems like things worked out pretty well for him. You know, it was a 
a scary event is now it's just a fun story to tell when you're having a beer. Um, It doesn't look like it had too many long-term lasting effects on him and he was able to carry on with his business. So yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. It's just a a fun little story to share uh, this week. It's been a little crazy with Tanner traveling and then myself being a little under the weather this weekend. It's been a lot, but I'm glad we could do this one and, and get it out to you guys. So I don't know. That's really all I have, unless there's anything else you wanted to add here at the end. Uh, no, just thanks for having me. It's been fun, and I'm glad we got to talk about something a little happy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone loves getting an insurance check, right? Yeah, hey, <laughs> if it's big enough. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, thanks for listening, and we will be back at it uh, next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Beyond the Breakers. We love hearing from listeners, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, there's a couple of ways you can do that. We're on Twitter at Beyond underscore Breakers. We're on Instagram at Beyond the Breakers Podcast. Our email is beyondthebreakerspod at gmail.com. And we do also have a Patreon set up for the show. That's patreon.com slash beyondthebreakers. Money from the Patreon just goes back into making the show, covers things like web hosting fees, research materials, the occasional hardware upgrade to keep the show sounding as good as possible. We appreciate all of the support in any way it comes. The simplest way to support the show is just to listen and share it with your friends. Other ways to support the show include leaving ratings and reviews. Ratings and reviews really help us. They help the show stay visible. They help more people find the show and they make us feel good. So any of those ways you can support the show is greatly appreciated. Until next time, take care.